All right, good morning, New City. Would you please join me in standing for the reading of God's word this morning? <coughs> Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses six through seven. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will give a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Mm. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. All right, well, good morning again, New City. My name's Chris, this is my wife, Jen. Grateful to be able to share with you this morning. I wanna start with talking about myths, all right? Maybe <laughs> lies that we believe, some of them more playful, some of them more dangerous. And I wonder is a kid, if you believed any myths that turned out not to be realities. I had a myth growing up, uh, playing basketball in my little neighborhood, that one day I would become a professional basketball player, all right? But as I got older, I realized that there were other people that had that same desire and dream. And they were gifted in ways that I was not. And it turns out that what I believed was not true. And God had something else for me in that. But if you would have told eight-year-old Chris that that wasn't true, I never would have believed that. There are playful myths that we grow up with, dreams, aspirations. And then there's more dangerous myths and lies that we believe that are reinforced early in our lives in different ways that turns out are not true and do not serve us. And here's one of the saddest realities is when a childish myth that you might believe about God or yourself or other people becomes a viewpoint that you have as an older person. And it just carries with you all throughout your life. And you just, you just believe it's true, but turns out it's not. And it's not serving you, especially in the ways that you follow Jesus. Now, there's a lot of different myths. We're not going to cover them today. But I want to talk about one myth that many of us learn early in life that's reinforced by a lot of our family systems. We shared some of our story last week in our families that is reinforced by the culture and the story that the world is telling you. Because remember, when it comes to finances and generosity, really all things, but specifically finances and generosity, you're gonna be informed by the story of the scriptures and what God says about it, or you're gonna be informed by the story of the world. And the story of the world turns out is a myth. And many of us believe this one myth that changes everything and how we see money and how we give specifically. And here it is, you ready? Let's call it the giving myth. A lie that we learned early on that turns out is not true. Here's the giving myth. The more I earn or when I earn more, I will, have you heard of that one? Yeah, you have, of course. When, when I earn more, when I get money, when I earn more money, I will give more money. And most of us learn this early on because we don't have a real job or we don't think we have a real salary or we have anything worth giving. And so we begin to believe, you know, when I get a job and when I get a salary, then I will be generous. And let me tell you why this is a myth. It's not true. You remember the show Mythbusters? Here it is. Let me bust this myth with, with just a data point. Statistically, 
People who earn more than $75,000 a year who get into their career and begin to earn at a top level, whatever that might cap out for you in your profession, but who begin to earn more than certainly a starting salary or whatever, they give less percentage-wise than people who make less than $75,000 a year. Let me just restate this. In the United States, the most generous group of people percentage-wise, who percentage of their income, the most generous group of people in the United States are those who make less than $75,000 a year. Whoops. When I earn more, I'll give more. That's what I think. And it's reinforced by every story of the world early on. But guess what happens? I start to earn more. I get that promotion. I get that job. I get that transfer. I begin to earn more. But turns out there's many more things that consume more. <laughs> so the more I make, the more demands I have for consumption on me. And the more I'm tempted to give what I earn uh, to other people, you know, uh, meaning other people in my family who, are co- who might consume that or the power company or the car company that I, own, that I owe money to, more and more things that are, are taking from my income. So it turns out that the whole idea that when I earn more, when I get a real job, when I earn real money, I'll, I'll, I'll give more is not true. And we know this statistically but we know this in our hearts too from the stories of Jesus. Let me just point out a couple. Stories that Jesus told and most importantly lived. How about the widow's might? Do you remember this? He tells a story about a woman who comes into the temple, into the place of worship, and she gives an offering. And she gives the two smallest coins in the, in the Jewish currency. that She couldn't have given less money. And, and she's surrounded by people who were giving all kinds of money, much larger pieces of currency. And Jesus says, you want to know who the most generous person in the room is? It's, it's that woman back there that gave the least amount of money. Now, wh- what? How could that be? She didn't give as much. No, she gave from her scarcity, Jesus said. She gave everything she had. Everybody else gave just a small, small fraction of all the wonderful things that God had given to them. But she gave everything. And so Jesus says, in my economy, she's the most generous person. Think about the five loaves and two fish. Jesus took a Lunchable from a kid and multiplies it to feed probably 15 to 20,000 people. And there was enough left over for every disciple to carry back a basket full of, of fish and of bread. Not an accident. And Jesus is teaching the principle of you give me a little and I can do a lot with it. It's not the, it's not the amount. What about the woman at the, towards the end of his ministry that anoints him with oil, a precious oil and perfume? And Judas and the rest of the disciples, you know, this is a giveaway for Judas, by the way, uh, looks at it and goes, this is ridiculous. You know, it's extravagance. We could have sold that and fed all kinds of people and given to the poor. And Jesus says, look. Why are you judging her and her beautiful act of worship to me? It's not about the amount of money. It's about the faith that was required to give this. What, what's the point? Don't miss this. Money is not the currency of the kingdom of God. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. It's faith. That's what Jesus is after. It's not about the amount of money. So when we live with this myth, which many of us still do, 
something that we learned early on that we carry with us, even as we follow Jesus, that when I earn X, then, then I'll be generous. It's a farce. It's a myth because generosity begins in your heart and not in your wallet. It begins on the inside and then it works its way out to behaviors. So when I think that when things change on the outside, then I'll change on the inside, it doesn't work that way. God wants to change us from the inside and our hearts to be generous. And so we've been talking about principles of heart change, of generosity, of of what it means most importantly to be a disciple of Jesus. Because you know you could listen to this and you go, well, here's another sermon about money. It's, it's actually not a sermon about money. It's a sermon about our hearts. And Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. He preached about it more than any other topic other than the kingdom of God itself. Why? Because he was obsessed with money? No, he was obsessed with us. And he knew that money would be the chief rival for the affections of our hearts. And, the, and nothing's changed. And so there's principles in the scriptures to help guide us in how we view money and bust the myths that we have about money and help us to live as a disciple of Jesus when it comes to money. And Jen and I shared last week that we've just learned, and please learn from our mistakes. We've just learned along the way as disciples of Jesus, individually and together in our marriage, that one of the flashing lights on the dashboard of how things are going in our followership of Jesus that begins to blink that something's wrong is when we're not trusting God with our money. When, when, we're, when we don't have a right view of money, when we're not giving the way that God's called us to, it's like a light on the dashboard that just starts flashing, you know, tire pressure is low, the oil is low, the alignment's out, something is wrong and you gotta pay attention to it. And that's why we're talking about it. That's why Jesus talked about it and moreover, it's why the scriptures give us principles to live by. And that's what these are. And we want to share five principles of generosity. We teach them every single year. And the reason is because we tend to forget the things we need to remember. And we remember the things that we really should forget. And this is one of the things that you need to remember. In fact, Paul says, remember in the passage. He's reminding them of something they already know. C.S. Lewis said, the best teaching is reminding you of what you already know. And so that's part of what this is. Some of you, you've heard this, some of this is the first time. But these are five principles, not our principles, five principles that come straight from the scriptures, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you want to turn there or you're taking notes, that help to guide our understanding of money and most importantly, how we live as generous people. And so we started last week and we want to pick up uh, today with the final three, but let's go back and review really quickly if you missed last week or you need to be reminded of the first two. I love, Chris, that you use the word principles. So just as a reminder, these are principles of generosity. These are not commandments of generosity. These are principles for us. The first that we looked at last week was in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you remember, verses 1 through 5. And it was the principle of being prayerful, of being prayerful. That really, like Chris just said, it's about our hearts. What is our posture of generosity within our hearts? You've heard him say oftentimes what's at the bottom of the well comes up in the bucket. So what is my, my posture about being generous? Am I being prayerful? When is the last time that you or any of us really sought the Lord in prayer about our giving? And that's really where it starts is being prayerful. Give ourselves first to God and then to others. The second is to prioritize. Our generosity needs to be prioritized. And again, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
And Paul there is just encouraging this group of believers to finish what they started. Mm. They started in this posture of being so eager to give and then it kind of started to wane. And he's like, let's go back and finish what you started. Where, where are you prioritizing um, your, your giving and your, your heart of generosity? So today we're gonna continue with um, number three. A disciple's generosity needs to be prayerful, prioritized, and thirdly, planned. It needs to be planned. And this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses three through five. And Paul says, but I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready as I have been telling them and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. Hmm. That makes me giggle. (laughs) Don't make me look bad, guys. I've told them these great things about you. We would be embarrassed not to mention your own embarrassment if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is indeed ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Hmm. Yeah. So Paul says, essentially, um, you have a heart for giving, but um, is your wallet ready to give? So your heart might be ready to give, but is your wallet ready to give? So just in context, what he's saying is, I'm gonna send a group of people, Titus and some other folks early before we take the offering to make sure that you're ready so that when we pass the plate that you're not looking at each other like, well, wait, wait, what is this? And you're not ready to do it. And, and just to be clear, he's not, he's talking to the Corinthians church. He's representing the Macedonian churches, two different groups of churches. He's not comparing them, but he's encouraging them with each other's stories. And so he says, guys, church at Corinth, you've been such an encouragement to the churches at Macedonia. And I would hate for you to fall down right now at the moment of inflection when you have a decision point you're gonna give and then all of a sudden you're not ready to give. So the idea is that you would be planned and ready to give. And giving requires planning. Mm -hmm. Many of us have a heart to give. We sit in a worship service. uh, We see uh, something that happens in the world. We watch a commercial, whatever. Our hearts are bent towards something. They're warm, that we want to be generous. And then we go and we check our bank account. We, we, we figure out, I can't be generous. Mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't have anything to give. You know, Margaret Thatcher said, uh, we would never know of the Good Samaritan if he didn't have money to be generous with. So it was not only that he had a heart for uh, the one who was wounded on the road, it was that he had the margin and he had planned by inference in his budget to be generous. And so the idea is that you're creating margin in your life so that you can be generous on a regular basis and you can be generous uh, spontaneously when God brings someone on the path that you could actually have margin in your budget in your life to be generous. And many of us, you know, we live paycheck to paycheck and, and dollar to dollar that we don't have any margin. We haven't created margin in our lives to be generous. So we have a heart to be generous, but we don't have a head to be generous. We haven't planned ahead in that. And here's the thing, and we're gonna use the budget word here. And all of you do budgeting in a, in a different way and it's okay. The best budget is the one that works for you. But a budget is simply this, you telling you what to do. That's what a budget is. It's you telling you what to do with your money. So if you don't tell you what to do, someone else would be glad to tell you what to do with your money. 
And, and believe me, there's a whole industry and world that is specifically marketing to you to tell you what to do with your money and direct your money. And so as followers of Jesus, part of our posture towards money and busting the myth, you know, that when I earn more, when I get more, I'll give more, is directing the money that God's already given to us and being very prepared and planned when it comes to our giving. And so we've got we've to take account, if you will, of every dollar that God's given to us and make sure that every single one of those dollars is living on mission. So when my money begins to tell me what to do instead of the other way around, we're in trouble, right? And for many of us, we've obligated ourselves uh, financially so that when God does call us to be generous, we're not able to. So action step here is to get ourselves to a place in our lives where we have margin to actually be generous. And that's, on the, that's the less glamorous side of giving, right? You know, in any kind of race, like if you're a long distance runner, I know we have some of, uh, some of you in here. You know, the, the, the greatest part of any race, right, is the, the start line and the finish line. The start line when the music's playing and everybody's applauding and everybody's smiling. That's where they take pictures. And then at the finish line, when you finally cross the tape and you're, you're done with it. But there's a lot that happens in between. And that's what Paul's talking about here is you, you, at the start line, you said you wanted to be generous. And, and the finish line is coming. In between, I want you to be planned so that when you get to the moment where you're asked to give, that you're ready to do it. Now, here's the thing on this. The principle here is that your giving is planned, meaning that your money is being directed by you and not the other way around. But, but I just want to share this pastorally. When you live your life by biblical principles, that's what we're sharing, biblical principles. When you live your life by what God says, most of your decisions are already made. I want you to think about that. When you live your life by God's principles, most of your decisions are already made. I don't have to search the scriptures and decide, is God calling me to love my wife? God's already told me to do that. I, I don't have to decide every day, should I go and work hard with the gifts that God's given to me so I can provide for my family? God's already told me to do that. I don't have to make a decision about whether to be kind and loving and generous to people around me. God's already told me to do that. You see where I'm going with this? The more you trust what God has already said, the more you begin to see that a lot of the decisions that I'm sitting with have already been made. And it's about me living those out. Now, I'm not going to get too far down this, but I, I do want to say this. For most of us, I'll start with me. We don't have a, a knowledge problem in terms of like knowing what God has said or, or, or uh, you know, trying to understand has God spoken about this. For most of us, we have an obedience problem with actually living out what God has already said. And far too many times we, we take an obedience problem and we put it in a knowledge problem. Well, I just don't know. And if I knew I would do it, well, well you know. Now you know. You're going to do it? Well, I don't know. Well, and, and just play that out over and over again. Well, if, if it was just clear, then I would obey it. Well, it is, it is clear. Are you going to do it? Well, I don't, I don't have to think about that. I have to understand a little bit more. For most of us, we don't have a knowledge problem. We have an obedience problem. And when it comes especially to our money, then we think, well, gosh, if I just knew more, if I just earned more, if I just whatever, then, I would, then I'd be obedient, then I'd be generous. But the truth is that oftentimes we fall down on this principle, we're not planning to do it. So we have zero margin to be able to be generous. Now, Jen mentioned this. These are not commandments. 
these are principles from the scriptures. We're telling you how these biblical principles have been filtered through our lives specifically, and we're sharing our story. Our prayer is that you'll seek the Lord and these biblical principles will be filtered into your hearts and then you'll tell your story and live it out. But everything changed for us. And we talked about this last week. We made so many mistakes with our money and our giving. Mm -hmm. Everything changed for us when we reversed the order of giving. Mm -hmm. Most people give this way. We spend all of our bills, all the things, whatever, we save because we know we should be saving something. That's the prudent thing to do. And then whatever we have left over, we try to give and be generous. And guess what? Back to the giving myth. There's amazing amounts of people and things that want to consume over here, right? And so by the time we get over here, it is literally leftovers and crumbs. Everything changed for us when we reversed the order and went giving, saving, spending. To where giving is the first thing that goes out the door for us. And we'll talk a little bit about more, uh, specifically about that then we do save because you should save. And we talked last week about you should save. Joseph saved. He saved his generation because he built up, you know, storage of grain. You should save for a rainy day. You should not save for a tsunami. Okay, there's a difference. So you can rob God and what he's asking you to give and be generous by oversaving. And it's the more palatable way to avoid what God is saying and being generous because I'm not overspending, I'm just oversaving. You should save, but you shouldn't save for Armageddon. That's not gonna save you, right? You should save for a rainy day. And then we spend. And everything changed for us, you know, when we, when we did this and we created a way, a way to do that. Yeah. So this idea of planning with your giving, when we were first married, and Crystal talked more about this, but, and it certainly still is true today, but a priority for us is to give to our local church and the work that God is doing here. And when we were first married, we wanted to do that. We had that in our hearts, but we did not plan. So Sunday mornings looked a lot like showing up. This is back when you wrote checks and had cash, right? A lot of it's more automated now electronically, but I would forget to bring the checkbook or I thought Chris was doing it or he thought I was doing it. Clearly we were not planned. Yeah. And I would walk into these Sunday mornings and really feel, you know, convicted about that. Like not this like shame, but just conviction around, okay, wait, this really is in my heart, but I have clearly not planned for this. Yeah. I haven't planned for it. And so interestingly, I never forgot to pay a power bill or forgot to pay my mortgage, or forgot to get that new dress that I need for said activity. And we really, like Chris said, had to just completely reverse our giving, saving, spending. And that is a major reversal for me as the spender, <laughs> all the way around. So for me, candidly, planning budget does not come naturally for me. It is a muscle that I am still learning <laughs> To, to grow for sure. And really it's about my heart. Where's my, how is my heart ordered? And what are my, we talked about this last week, what are my behaviors, my habits, my rituals? What are they saying about what I believe to be true about who God is and who yeah. he says that I am? And yeah. so yeah. just would really encourage each of you in that, whatever that looks like for you, what that planning piece might look like. And like Krista said, for us, it is just an automated thing for us because the Lord knows I will forget. And that is not my heart. We needed to really plan for it. So our budgeting or our generosity needs to be planned for. And then the fourth one is it needs to be personal. A disciple's generosity needs to be personal. And this is right from 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 through 9, which is what I read this morning. But remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds 
will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and do not give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And I love that Paul distinguishes like the difference between like reluctantly or like I feel pressure to do this. Our heart is not that any of you would hear pressure from us, but that you would hear God whisper to you, hey, here's how I want to use what I've given you to multiply my work here on earth. So our generosity needs to be personal. We must give what we have decided to give in our heart. Yeah. So where should you give? If you, you are in this place of, Lord, I want to give. I want to be generous. Where would you have me to give? I would just encourage you to make it personal. Think about and pay attention to the places in your heart where you look at this world and you see the brokenness. What things tug at your heart? Because that's a holy discontent that the Lord has given you. And ask him to reveal to you, how can I help in this thing? And for us, um, just a small example of this, um, something that moves our hearts so much are our children, uh, the weak and the vulnerable. And I remember we were at a conference um, several years ago and they did the co- compassion cards where you could you know, adopt a child and sponsor a child. And I was so moved, again, as the spender, I grabbed like 25 cards. And Chris is like, okay, well, this is good and we can do one. So we, we did, we committed to one and we committed to this precious little girl, Namani. And her birthday is right around the same time that our son Jackson's birthday is. So it helped, I mean, in age, same year and everything. Mm-hmm. So when it's Jackson's birthday, Namani's birthday's coming. And we've planned, again, for us, we've planned and it's automatically deducted from our account every month. And literally have built this relationship with this precious little girl in Tanzania. And her picture's hanging on our fridge. And our kids know, it's, been, it's Jackson's birthday, Nimani's birthday coming, what did we get her? You know, what are we doing for Christmas? Where's the book, what can we select? And then to hear from her and just to build this relationship with her, I can't even imagine. And for us, it's just, it's really just very little, but it goes so far for her. And it's been such a gift and a blessing, but that's personal to us, right? Like that's what moves our heart. So again, just wanna encourage you, what are the places that God is stirring you know, in you, that holy discontent and how he might want you to be involved? So remember that giving once was a matter of, of law and now it's a matter of, it's a matter of our hearts. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great, if you're taking notes, like, the idea that scripturally, you know, giving used to be a matter of the law, meaning that if you were an Israelite, if you were a part of that, you gave to the state or the government, if you will, but you also gave to the quote unquote church, the temple. It was all wrapped into one. It was a high percentage of your income would be given in that way. And it was an exaction. It wasn't volitional. I mean, it was something that, that, that was collected from you on a regular basis. It was a matter of the law. But now our giving is a matter of love. Giving used to be a matter of the law, and now it's a matter of love. Now, where does this show up in, in Paul's word here principally? He says, God, look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Did you know in the early church when they would pass the offering, people would applaud? <laughs> We're so excited to give. We can't wait to be a part of this offering and what the Lord is doing through generosity. There was an excitement about giving, a, a desire to be a part of giving. But what's happened is we've believed some of these myths and one of them believing that it's just a matter of the law and we're obligated to give, we have to do it. It's almost like a taxation on us as it robs us of our joy. You know, how many of you, just by example, 
every year on April 15th or thereabouts, you just wake up in the morning on tax day and you are so excited about what's getting ready to happen. I mean, Uncle Sam is getting ready to come and take your hard-earned money and be used for all kinds of different things mm -hmm. that many of you didn't have a choice in. Mm -hmm. And you're just excited about that. I mean, you just think about it all year long. I mean, you get up early with anticipation and, and you're just ready uh, for someone to come and take your money. And if you don't do it, they'll come and take your house or take something else <laughs> because you, you didn't give it to them. And that just, that just motivates you and just excites you. Uh, not many of you. If you do, come find me afterwards. I want to tell you about Jesus and how you can follow after him. Um, but how many of you on, on a Christmas morning or a, a birthday or an anniversary of a loved one have selected a gift and you've, you've saved for it, you've planned and prepared and all the things, and you just can't wait to see their reaction? Because you know it's something that they've longed for, that they've wanted, that will bring their heart joy. And you just can't wait to be a part of that and, and to give. You see the difference? One is motivated by the law. Nobody celebrates tax day. One is motivated by love. And you know, the posture of love is always this. The posture of lust is this. So lust is always about what you can get. And it's not just physical. You know, it could be lust financially, it could be for your reputation or accolades or accomplishments or just whatever it might be, that you're just a consumer. You're here to take from other people. And when you're done taking from them, you discard them and move on to the next person. Now, if you find yourself in a friendship or romantic relationship where someone is just taking and taking from you, just know that they're a taker, that the relationship is built on lust and not love, and you need to run away from it because relationships are built on love, mutual giving. And we've talked about in a marriage relationship, marriage is a race to the back of the line. It's, it's wanting the other person to go. It's, it's encouraging the other person to go first. And, and giving, it's about thinking about the other person. How can I be a part of that? But again, that's got to be personal. It's got to start in the heart. It can't start with getting an IRS tax form saying, we want you to be generous. That's not generosity. It's a taxation. It's a duty. It's the law, you have to do it. Same thing in our relationship with God. It's not based on the law, it's based on love and what God's done for us. So how can you make it personal where it's a part of your heart? Remember, we don't give according to the law, we give according to love. And Jesus fulfilled, Romans 13, Jesus fulfilled the law for us. So now we live and breathe and we move and we give according to law or to, according to love and what God has done for us, not according to law and what we have to do for God. Now, let's talk about personally, where do you give? And I get that question sometimes. Well, where should I be generous to? I, we're going to share principles and our story. I'm not going to share like this is forever and ever the way you have to do it because it's not there. But what I would say principally and even what Paul is demonstrating here in collecting an offering for the church is that if you're a part of a local church, that you should begin your giving to the local church. Now, why? Because other organizations are bad? Absolutely not. We need other organizations. We should give to other organizations. We give to other organizations. But we give to our church first. And you say, well, of course, you're the pastor. I mean, of course you have to say that. That's, that's fair. That's fair. But, but, but let, and I'll just state it. Yes, you're exactly right. But you know what? We're also members of this church. Mm -hmm. We're members of this congregation. Our kids are members of this mm -hmm. congregation. 
And we talk about that as a family, that we're members of this church before we work here, before we pastor here, or we do anything. We're members of this community. And so we want our giving to start with our faith community. So I'm not telling you anything that we don't practice. You don't have to do it. But I'm telling you what we've learned is that we give to our local church first. And if you think about it as a table, because that's the metaphor that Paul uses as a farmer here who plants their crops, right? Who's, those who sow you know, generously will reap generously. Those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. In other, in other words, you're, as, you, as you give to the kingdom, you'll see the fruits of the kingdom. And the, the picture really is a table. You think about like Thanksgiving's coming. And sitting at the table with loved ones and all these wonderful delights in front of you that people have carefully prepared for and planned. And it's a joy to be able to share in that meal together. Now that's the kingdom of God. And as we give, we're helping to grow those crops that produce the food. And then we're enjoying it and feasting on it. But we're inviting other friends and people to come and sit at the table with us particularly people who can't afford to do that or people whose hearts are not given to the scriptures yet and the principles of generosity and they're not at a place to give, but we prepare a meal for them. We help them to come to the table and eat in that way and we make it personal. Now, let me just state the obvious, right? If you're waiting for the perfect church to give to, when the church that checks all my boxes and then it's kind of a myth again, once I get to a church that meets all my needs and checks all my boxes and it's a perfect church, then I'll start to give. You'll never give. Okay, and, and New City can lead the parade on this. A broken place, an imperfect place. Well, why is it broken and imperfect? Because it's led by people like us. And it's attended by people like you. And so all of us together are imperfect and broken. Can we agree on that? Nobody's perfect in here. We're broken people. Maybe rule number one here, no perfect people allowed. Okay, there's no perfect. I've, I've told you before, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. Leave it alone, okay? When we get to heaven, we'll be perfect. But on this side, we're broken, we're flawed. So if you're waiting for the perfect church, the perfect opportunity, the perfect situation, the perfect kids ministry, the perfect preacher, the perfect whatever, it'll never happen. And what God's asking you to do is to be faithful and to give. I'm not gonna tell you what to give. I'm gonna tell you that if you're sitting at the table of a local church, and by the way, if you're attending here today, you're visiting, you attend another church, you're watching online, you attend another church, I wanna say this on behalf of your church. Give to your church. Give to your church. Give to where God's put you at the table. If you're at the new city table and you're eating regularly from the table that's in front of us that we're all contributing to as a member of this family, help pay for the groceries. If, 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 if you're city, uh, sitting at this table, according to what God, what you can give. And if you're not in a place where you can right now, keep coming, but pray that God will give you margin in your budget and your income to be able to give so someone else just like you can come and eat at the table. The truth is for every single one of us, somebody else gave for your seat at the table. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. And you know, one of the greatest definitions of generosity is planting seeds and never sitting under the shade of the tree. That you're planting seeds for a shade tree that you'll never sit under, but somebody else will. And that's what generosity is. And it's gotta be personal. We're sharing our story. Please understand this. I, if, if, if you're hearing any kind of pressure or you have to or whatever, that's not from God. 
Paul says, I don't want you to give reluctantly or under pressure or compulsion. There reluctance that you have to do it. God loves a cheerful giver, not a dutiful giver, not a regular giver, a cheerful giver. So cultivate generosity in your heart where you can give generously. And my principle is just this, that start with your local church. It doesn't have to be this church. Start with your local church and then build from there. We give to compassion to other organizations that have burned in our hearts. You pray about that and see where God would, would, would lead you in that. But you, you got to make it personal in order for it to, 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 to stick. And the last thing I'd say on this is just personally, you know, giving, just like a lot of things in our discipleship, you know, sometimes God delivers. Absolutely. And I believe that God delivers us from things. I've seen it happen in our lives. I've seen it happen in other people's lives that we've prayed for, that God would completely deliver them from something. And he does, and he can. But oftentimes God disciples us through something. Sometimes God delivers us from something. Oftentimes God disciples us through something. Now, how does that apply to giving? Oftentimes our giving steps is not an on-off switch. It's a dimmer switch. And my encouragement to you this year is to take a step in your giving. If you don't give anything, what would it look like for you to give something? If you give something, what would it look like for you to clear even more room to give even more and take steps in that? Yeah. Is it me or you? It's you. Oh, it's me. Um, still me. Still you. Okay. Um, <laughs> the final thing here, the final principle is that your giving is progressive. Okay, so it is kind of like dimmer switch. If you're taking notes, maybe just draw a little dimmer switch in the sense that as you grow in grace, because remember, this is not a conversation about money primarily, it's a conversation about discipleship. Mm -hmm. As you grow in your trust of the Lord, that your giving and your generosity in every way would begin to grow as well. And the principle here is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 10 through 15. It says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. All right, so Paul mm -hmm. says, you're going to be enriched, so given riches in lots of ways, but he says, you're gonna be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Okay, so what can we learn from this just principally? Mm -hmm. That God, it makes the first move towards us. So I just wanna be very clear about this because this has been twisted and turned by some people to mean that this is sort of a celestial quid pro quo when it comes to giving. Meaning if I give to God, then now he is obligated to give back to me. And in that scenario, I'm God. I'm in control, which is the longing of my broken heart, by the way. Mm -hmm. And it's just mm -hmm. another way for me to somehow control God. That if I give, now God, you have, remember you said you would tenfold, you've got to, and there's people who have given themselves to this. It's called the prosperity gospel. It comes out in all kinds of different ways that I am going to give so I can be blessed. And let me just, mm -hmm. let me just say this right now, another myth buster here. You are already blessed. 
So when, when, when we say, I'm going to give so God will bless me, God's already blessed me. He's given me the most invaluable thing on the planet, his very son. So Paul references this. God withheld nothing in his giving towards us. And the model of giving is not me. It's not Jen. It's not you. It's Jesus. For God so loved the world that he, yes, he gave. So this is not I give so, so God will give to me. And we have this little, God and I have this little arrangement. No, it's I have been blessed and enriched in every way to be a blessing. This goes all the way back to Abraham where God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great so that you will be a blessing to other people. You'll be a conduit of my grace to all the nations of the world. And that's the church now that God has blessed us in every way through Christ, including our finances. And now we're called to be a blessing. And here's the blessing that we give from giving. The blessing that we give from giving is participating in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And whenever we participate in the kingdom of God, we're blessed, we're enriched because we're in God's will, absolutely. And giving is a part of that. But we don't give so that we will be blessed. We give from a place of already being blessed. And what we can count on is that it's right here that God will meet our needs, not our greeds, our needs. You know, we've never missed a meal. We haven't, okay? It, we've been close and we haven't eaten the meals that we've wanted to eat sometimes. It hasn't been steak every night, a lot of beanie weenies, right? But God has never caused us to miss a meal. We've always been taken care of, not our greeds, but our needs. And the deal is this, guys, we'll finish right here. That if you want an only God story in your life, if you want an only God story for your family, if you want an only God story that you can pass down to your kids and your grandkids of telling these stories of how God came through in your life, you got to trust him in only God ways. Mm -hmm. If you want a story worth telling, then you've got to live a life that means something, mm -hmm. that is trusting God in a faithful way. I can't tell you how to do that in your life we've learned that generosity and giving is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. And as we've seen God come through in different ways, in unexpected ways, goldfish and bananas on our porch. You can go back and listen to last week if you want to know what we're talking about there. <laughs> All kinds of different small and meaningful ways, large ways where God has come through. It just builds our faith. Mm -hmm. And you just, it's like a flywheel. You know, faith begets faith. It's contagious. And by the way, fear is contagious. And so moms and dads and grandparents, like the more faith that you're living by, it's contagious in your family. And it builds these stories and confidence in the Lord. And that's what the Lord wants to do. So let's hit all five together and finish here. All five principles together if you're, if you're taking notes of generosity. Straight from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Your giving should be prayerful. Your giving should be prioritized. A disciple of Jesus has to be prioritized in their giving. It should be planned. Remember, you got to create margin. Nobody would know the Good Samaritan if they didn't have any margin. It's got to be personal. It's got to warm your heart because God loves a cheerful giver. And it's got to be progressive. It should build and grow as your faith builds and as it grows. And here's the result of it. Let's finish here. 2 Corinthians 9, 12. Paul says, so two things will result from this ministry of giving. And by the way, giving is a ministry. A ministry of giving. He says, number one, the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be, will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So real needs from real people will be met. And the giver and the receiver, if you finish that passage, are going to be filled with joy and thanksgiving and ultimately glorify God. 
Those are the results of the ministry of giving, that we're meeting real needs of real people and that God's receiving even more glory. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you something today, uh, just via email. It's our impact report for New City. And our team has spent the last year collecting stories and, and data points and statistics and numbers to tell the story of New City and how your generosity, just like Paul says, is making a difference. It's making an impact in people's lives as they, as they find Jesus and they follow after him. And I just wanna encourage you to read through it, take time to read through it. We're gonna mail you a hard copy as well this week and just set aside time individually as a family to read through it and celebrate what God is doing in our church but also to pray through these five principles and what the Lord may be asking you to do further to, uh, to keep uh, the kingdom of God, the centerpiece of what we're doing here and helping people find and follow Jesus. And maybe for someone who's not here yet that you're helping to create a space at the table through your generosity for them to sit and understand the gospel. New City Church, there's a unique, only God story that's awaiting each one of us individually and as a church that's on the other side of our generosity. Because the truth, the truth is God doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. To him alone be the glory. Would you join me in praying? Father, we praise you and thank you that you don't need anything from us. God, we thank you that you indeed do want our hearts. Thank you for making the first move. Thank you for coming for us. Hmm. God, would you just soften each heart and mind today? Lord, I pray that only your words of truth will be what is remembered. Would you give each of us the courage and the faith to trust you? We love you and we ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.